Hey guys, welcome to the next episode of the Refuse to Lose podcast. For the very first time, we are stepping outside of rugby league, and I couldn't think of a better guy to do this with than Kieran Jack. Kieran is a former captain of the Sydney Swans who played 256 games in the AFL, but he is so much more than just an athlete. In this episode, Kieran touches on his early life, growing up as the son of a Balmain Tigers legend. He then talks about his transition from playing rugby league into the AFL and how he turned himself from a draft reject into a premiership winning superstar who went on to play in three AFL grand finals. He also lifts the lid on the entire Adam Goods booing saga for the very first time, giving an insight into what it was like to be a teammate of Adam's during the AFL's darkest days. He talks about the anger, the confusion, and the great sorrow it caused him, and how he still looks back on it now, and what he could have done differently at the time. In this episode, Kieran also talks about retirement, and how it's allowed him to throw himself into community work, and helped him become an advocate for a number of important issues. I've done a lot of sports interviews for my job, and I can honestly say that this is one of the most refreshing, intellectual, and eye-opening conversations I've ever had. There's also some great locker room stories in there as well, ranging all the way from the Dalai Lama to toothbrushes in the dressing room. So please enjoy my chat with Kieran Jack. Kieran Jack, welcome to the Refuse to Lose podcast, mate. Thank you, Jake, mate. Of uh, the man with the best name in rugby league, <laughs> in rugby league journals, well, <laughs> by Brad Fittler. Anyway, now I do see your stuff on the Footy Show, and it's um, a pleasure to be on here, mate. Pleasure. Oh, thank you, thank you, uh, thank you for having me uh, at your house. I've been uh, talking to your wife, Charlotte, and she said, "Make sure the dining room that he cleaned up the dining room." So it looks pretty clean. It looks like you've done. A good job. That's clean, mate. Yeah, you know, she's she got called down to do a story in in Wagga actually tonight. So I've had the full day to get it clean. So yeah, make sure you let her know that it's it's all done. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, it's funny you mentioned my name. People say it to me all the time. Like they say, oh, your name. It's the best best name for TV. But who started that? It was Freddie, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Freddie yeah. started. It. Yeah, yeah, but I've I've heard it for years. Oh, and yeah. I, and I just I I've never thought about my name like that. No, you know? and, then people... and and you're absolutely finishing this podcast with a classic Jake Duke sign off. Okay, <laughs> oh, I want that at the end. Oh, Oh, they, they've been making me do that for years, mate. <laughs> Sound like a flog, but anyway. That's great. Um, yeah, we can hear uh, Nelson out there barking. If anyone doesn't know, uh, there's a couple of stars in this house. There's you, obviously. I'm there's, 30 in line. Yeah, there's Charlotte, yeah. the uh, Channel 10 presenter, and then there is Nelson the Bulldog, who is an Instagram star. Yeah, he's been a bit quiet lately, but he was an Instagram star. He's uh, he's pretty loud. If you can hear him in the background, I apologise. I've tried to put him out with a... Bit of a chew toy, but he's destroyed that already. So he wants to he wants to say good day to you, I think. <laughs> Who? Because uh, he gets dressed in the the little outfits and stuff. Like, is that you dressing him or oh, no? No. What do you think? No, it's <laughs> don't do that. There's plenty in there though. He's got um, he's got shark outfits and strawberry outfits and hot dogs. It's just it gets out of control. Does she does she love him more than she loves you? Oh yeah, that's a good question. That's it's been asked a few times. Yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me because <laughs> he was at, he was at the wedding and everything, wasn't he? Like he's, oh, he's front and center at the wedding. Yeah, he had a tux on at our wedding, yeah. so he's he's an important part of the family. Why bulldogs? You know, they're they're an interesting dog. Like some people love them, some people are like oh no, I couldn't I couldn't do with a bulldog. Do you guys have a particular affinity with bulldogs? I I, I got him 
uh, after the 2012 grand final. So he's a premiership Bulldog. Yeah, okay. Uh, ironic that we lost to the Bulldogs a few years later, actually, in a premiership. Um, you just couldn't look at him after that, oh, could you? Oh, he was conflicted that yeah. week. It was a tough <laughs> week for him. Um, no, I, I, I met – I just – I came across them a couple of times and I just love their demeanour. They're just a, – they're a humble dog. They're – they're right by your side. There's plenty of character to them. They're a little bit hard to handle at times. They're they're, they're pretty uh, they're pretty bossy and demanding, but they're just great. They're great dogs around people. So, and he's he's at the door just barking now because he wants to come in. He probably runs the house, to be honest. Yeah. He wants to be. He wants to. He wants to say hello. I'll go, yeah. I'll go give him a pat afterwards. Yeah, please. <laughs> um, so, mate, you you're. Uh, a bit of uncharted territory. Uh, first time we've done a podcast outside of rugby league. Um, so, you know, but I, as I said, I feel like we're cheating a little bit because we're making a slow transition. You've grew up playing rugby league. You obviously have rugby league pedigree. I, I'd just like to, you know, get your, the, the Kieran Jack rugby league career in your early life. What was what was that like? Well, thank you for having me on the show as the first uh, cross-code. Cross, uh, <laughs> Uh, but you're right, yeah, I, I've got an interesting probably story into AFL. Um, kid growing up in Sydney, should have played rugby league, should have gone down a similar path, grew up around rugby league clubs, grew up around Balmain change rooms with, you know, Pierces and Roaches and Sirenins and those kids, all those kids all went on to play, well, not all of them did, but a few of them went on to play rugby league and at, at the highest level. So, um I love rugby league as a kid. I really did. It wasn't until I was 12 or 13 that uh, came across this code of AFL footy. And it was probably on the back of what the Swans did in 96. They made the grand final for the first time in Sydney. And sort of a wave of support came behind Sydney. And we started to just watch it on TV a little bit more as kids. Had some friends that were starting to play AFL football. And I think the investment in, in, in the code from a grassroots level um, went to another level. And it was at a, a school competition that they introduced called the Paul Kelly Cup. So Paul Kelly was a former captain of the Swans. He sort of was, was the name to this new new kind of Oz kick, just a, a really easy, fun game to play. Boys and girls targeted at 11, 12-year-old kids. Um, and as a kid, I, I just played any sport that I could. I just I loved the competition side of it. So... Uh, gave it a go and just loved it. Loved the big open space. I loved kicking in league. It sort of suited me, the skills that were there. I was a smaller kid, so I used to get belted around a bit playing league in the junior levels, and we all know what they're kind of like. Mm. Um, the unevenness of sizes that you can get at times. So I was exposed to that. Didn't really receive that in AFL, um, but just loved the game, loved the whole concept of it. And the following year, signed up to my, my local club and kind of progressed throughout playing the two codes uh, so my weeks were pretty busy during the week um, weekends of AFL Saturday rugby league Sunday uh, and then at 15 I had to had a choice to make you know what I wanted to put my time in and what I was more passionate about and at that point AFL was you know I was, I was making more you know representative um, teams and, and going further and just enjoying it more so that's the decision I made you know, fast forward a couple more years, you, you come into the draft and the AFL draft system and what, what that's all about. Um, and actually, I, I missed the draft to begin with. So in the AFL, it's different to rugby league. There's a the end of the year, all the clubs come together and they'll pick probably 80 to 90 of the top 100 kids. 
Um, and it's meant as a mean of equalisation. So if you come last, you get the first pick of the draft. So they try and equalise the competition that way. I missed that first batch, so I wasn't good enough there. And a couple of weeks later, they, they run what's called a rookie draft, which is basically what's left of that group. Um, they're, they're on one-year deals. They're not guaranteed. And a lot of the clubs will give it as a bit of an experiment. You know, we've seen Paul Ruse go out and try you know, athletes from America and ex-basketballs. That's pretty much the primarily where the rookie list sort of came from. Um, around 2005, when I got picked up, was around the time where the Swans won the premiership and they were looking to invest more money in New South Wales. And there were actually incentives around the Swans to pick more kids from New South Wales to try and grow the game. So they had three allocated rookie spots specifically for New South Wales players. Um, and I got taken as one of those. So I was the last pick of the rookie draft, which was pick 58, um, and got into the club that way. So if you're talking about pure talent coming into the <laughs> ranks, like I was at the bottom end of the scale. Like I was um, had a lot of deficiencies in, 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 in kicking, which I didn't get because you know I wasn't a kid that grew up in Victoria. It was a different, different pathway in Sydney. Um, we were still very much learning about the game, but comparatively to other players, it was very different. So I had a lot of work to do and... That's pretty much where the journey started. I want to I want to get to how you picked up the intricacies of AFL and and that in a second. I just I wanted to go back quickly when you mentioned growing up and and being around those Balmain change rooms around those guys, some of those those legends. What what was that like? You know, do you, you have much memory of being in those places? I've got, when I think back, I've got a, a few memories after games, running on Leichhardt Oval, picking up cans and trying to kick cans around and 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 over the crossbar with – it would have been with Mitchell Pearce and, um, and Curtis Sirinan and, and those types. So – and that's my early memory. You know, we, we did go over as a family to England at that in the early 90s too. My dad played for Salford and Sheffield over there. Younger brother Brown was born over there. So I've got, I've got some memories there as well. Um, but, yeah, you, you look back at that Balmain-Leichhardt period, everyone talks about it. It was a pretty – special team that they had at that that point they missed out on grand finals but it was a club that are kind of probably similar in a way to um the swans throughout the early you know 2010s period it was a younger group that came through together um and had a successful period without the premierships that were there so when you're trying to learn afl then right you've obviously you've grown up playing league and it's as you said it's not it's not Everything's second nature, you know. When you're trying to learn a new sport, when you do it from a very young age, you just you get it. it it's that muscle memory kind of thing. So, how did you then learn the intricacies of AFL? Like, I, I, someone told me something like they at Swans training, they just had you tag someone or follow someone around. Like, how how did it all work for you? Yeah, it, it wasn't second nature to me. That and that, and that was the you know, people talk about mastering skills, and it's that ten thousand hour philosophy. You've got to put time and time and time into it. Um, when I got to the Swans, I was I was a long way behind the hours that other players had, had put in. Um, so the only way I was going to get places was through hard work. I had to literally strip back my kicking technique. I had an around-the-corner rugby league kicking style. So they used to have me kicking in a straight line just 10 or 15 metres and we'd go back a couple of steps and just straight line, straight line, get my leg going straight. Yeah, that was for you know an hour or so after training every day. Um, learning the the lay of the land in terms of where to run in AFL football. It's a different game because it's it's 360. It's not so much rugby leagues, you know, it's in front of you all the time. It was very difficult to 
understand what was going on behind me and in front of me and to the side. Um, so tagging was the way that, that they introduced that to me. And tagging, put simply, is pretty much you know, having a player literally follow the opposition's best player around and try to stop them. So there's a couple of skills that I had. I could tackle and I was, I was determined at this dogged attitude to, you know, play my role, whatever it was. And that was probably what suited me because um, to stop someone in the gate, them, that, that was second nature. I could tackle, I could do all that sort of stuff. But I had to follow someone around to actually know where to go to, to do it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so that's where, that's where that all began. And then as the years progressed after that, the knowledge picked up, the intricacies, it became second nature. And then I was actually learning to back myself and go over here and, and, and you know, you know, be offensive in my own right. Did when you you mentioned how far kind of down the the pecking order you were when you started, like, and we hear great stories of guys all the time in the in the NFL, especially the basketball guys, right down the the line, and they go on to have these amazing careers. But where's your mindset at when you're early on and you and you left so late, you picked up so late? How do you then go on to think? Oh, how am I gonna? How am I gonna? be successful at this I'm so far down the line yeah I, I, I was just wrapped to get an opportunity like I, I was like all I needed I felt like all I needed was an in I just wanted to get into an AFL club and absorb learn and hard work and I was so glad that it was the Swans because they were coming off a premiership um, great club great culture you know, great people people to learn off I learn off learn off some of the best like Brett Kirk it was another rookie list player, became a champion of the game. You know, Jude Bolton, um, Leo Barry, Jared. There's so many mentors, Adam Goods, you know, so many mentors to learn from that I just I just followed what they did. If I had have gone to a poor club, I reckon it would have been really difficult to pick up on what it would have taken to get to that level because I wouldn't have known. I, would have, I was so far back that it would have taken me too long. So to actually get in there and just see those icons and just go, yep, I'm following you guys, um, that's what set me up and it's funny how the the swan system has kind of evolved it's it's that's what it is you you come in you learn off what we hope are the the leaders and the and the pinnacle and the best players you get to that point and then you pass the baton on yourself to the next group coming through um it's a great rolling culture that we have in place um but it it you know it takes time and, it, and it's, nothing's for granted there so you need to keep working at it do you think did you think if you were to go back now and well just thinking back at the time did you think you had the potential to have the career you had like did or did that did it exceed all of your no, expectations no no i my i would i would have been wrapped to have play some senior football you know um wouldn't have thought that i'd look back on it now and you know, win a premiership and you know be captain of the football. I would never have thought that was that was possible. But it was. That's the result of you get in, you work hard, you're in a great system, you lead that system. Things just start sort of happening. Um, but at that point, at eighteen or nineteen, it was no guarantee I was going to get a second year, really. Um, let alone play for fourteen or fifteen years. So it was. And I don't reckon you would have found a, a coach or a recruiter that would have thought this, you know, a dissimilar thing. Really, I reckon maybe I lived with an assistant coach at the time who I'm still really close with. I reckon he's actually told me, he goes, "I thought you would have played maybe thirty or forty games," that, and and that was 
that was good thinking. You know, that was pretty optimistic. Did, so, did that drive you? Like they say about your little guys or guys that aren't those biggest stature or they don't have the names. Do you get the chip on your shoulder? I did when, I, yeah. Well, at that point, I didn't. I mean, if he had told me, I thought you play thirty or forty, it would have been wrapped. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, what drove me was, I mean, at, at you know, when I was a junior, when I was fifteen or sixteen, you miss out on some sides, and you know, coaches would tell me, "Mate, you're too small. You're not going to play for football." Like, blokes getting drafted now, six two, six three. There's a similar st- st- you know, style and build you have to be, uh, mate. You're not going to make it. You know, maybe play VFL or Santa Fe, but you're not going to play AFL. So hearing that as a kid got you, and that was probably a bit of a, a chip on the shoulder. I used to run and run and run all the time, and in my head I'd be thinking, too small, too small, not too small, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it. That was what was that was a driving force for sure. Um, and, yeah, and, and when you don't make the draft, it's well, I'll, I'll, I'll try and prove you guys wrong too. And it's it's amazing how common that is, right? And like you see athletes all over the world. That's that similar story. Is it, it pushes and pushes and pushes, and it's like that. I'll prove you wrong mentality. It's yeah. It was a, it was a message that we at the club we always would tell the young kids as well when they first came through the door because you primarily every year you get between five and eight new kids that are eighteen, nineteen. Some go pick you know top ten in the draft. Some will be the last round of the rookie draft. We, we literally put him in a room and, and talk to him about the club and we say, righto, everything's off the table. We don't care what draft pick you are. You're all at this level now. You want to buy in? Buy in. If you don't, get out the door. Okay? It's, and it's pretty simple. The ones that work hard are the ones that get there. Um, simple philosophy, but it, it's, it's just, it's, it just runs true. Yeah, it does. It does. It, so you, obviously then you... you Go on, you start your career and then it, it reaches a pinnacle at, in 2012. You know, you've played some good solid years leading up to that, but in the AFL, there's nothing like playing on grand final day. Do you remember what the 2012 was grand final was like in the lead up and then out being out there? Yeah, yeah, it was, um, I mean, a very special feeling, but that that whole year was a special year, I thought, because we'd been a group that, as I said, you know, we were a youngish group. We had great leaders like Goodsey and Jude and Lewis Roberts-Thompson at the time, but there was a core group there, and I'm talking about guys who were Heath Grundy, Jerry McVeigh, Nick Smith, myself, Dan Hanabry, who were all around probably between the ages of 23, 26. So we're all kind of in, our, in that prime footy year. Um, we, made, we came in the top four for the first time that year. We got and we played Adelaide in the first final over there. Adelaide, I think we were on top of the ladder, um, and beat them. So we had a week off into a prelim. So the confidence just built amongst this group and we were having sort of chats on a weekly basis and and talks about, well, what if, like, let's let's not put a ceiling on ourselves here. Let, let's go for this. Um, you know, we played Collingwood in a prelim who we hadn't beaten for years prior to that. They had some astronomical record on us uh, and we beat them in the prelim. So that, that we just rode this wave of – finals are like – how often do you do you see a, a team that rides emotion into finals and they just continue to ride it? And you can't ever predict a final series because there's so many things that can change throughout it. But uh, that Hawthorne, the Hawthorne game was just, yeah, it's it's special. I certainly don't get sick of watching it or if there are highlights on TV um, because it's you run out and there's a hundred thousand people there. It's like hey, it's this. It's it's um, as a young kid, 
well, I wasn't a kid, but you know, as a young guy who experienced that for the first time, it was very special. What very about special. what about kicking goals on grand final day? Like that's pretty special too. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and, and like a crucial one. There was one late in the fourth quarter there that was a crucial goal. Yeah, it, it was. A, and for anyone who's sort of seen the game, it was a seesawing game. Like first quarter they blew us out. Second quarter we played probably the best quarter we played all year. We kicked eight goals in a row. We were well on top of them. Third quarter they were, Hawthorne were a great team. They came back. They were they went a couple of goals in front in the last quarter, but we actually had the wind in that last quarter, and that was the scoring end all day. So we always felt confident that we if we could get one we could get two we could get three um and that moment that you spoke of was was sort of typical of that it was a ball on the wing kicked up I just kept pushing pushing you know, myself and Dan Annabry ran ourselves into the ground that last quarter um but a pretty pretty big moment there poor old Cl- you know Clinton Young fell over in the goal square and I, I took advantage of it and and then Goodsy kicked a one to put us in front which was Iconic in itself because he had a torn posterior cruciate ligament that game um, that he tore in the second quarter, and then uh, obviously Nick Malcheski kicked the sealer. So that's it's just like you know when the siren went, I've sort of spoken to a few people. The overwhelming feeling I had was one of relief. I just dropped to the ground. It was like everything that you've wanted to achieve since you're a kid is all of a sudden the siren's gone. It's happened. It's just incredible. Um, so yeah, memories I'll never forget. What what a if you could I think of one memory in terms of in the aftermath. Is there anything that stands out to you in the celebration of just a a, a pinch yourself moment? You know, I've been watching the the last dance and just all those iconic shots of Michael Jordan afterwards. You know, where he's on the ground or he's you know they got the cigars, they got the goggles on or whatever. Is there anything in your celebrations that you remember? Uh, yes, yes, there are. The, cig- the cigars weren't out, <laughs> not, not at that point anyway. <laughs> um, I mean, there are a lot of, I mean, a lot of great moments. I think for me, it probably happened a couple of days later. We on the Wednesday, we got the entire playing group and John together, and we it was the first time we'd probably seen everyone together since the game because you know you, you might go out and see each other, but there's parades and there's all sorts of things going on that week but on the Wednesday we caught up in the um, players lounge just up in the room and the AFL had sent us about oh, what they sent us about 50 cases of crownies that was left over so, <laughs> so we sat up there and we just watched the game again and then afterwards we stayed around upstairs for a few hours and just had the music going had our own little party and it was one of the best probably six seven hours I've had just to soak it all in. We knew that we won it. We got to relive it again, knowing the result, um, and just enjoy each other's company. It was that's the moment I'll, I'll probably never forget. Is it? Yeah. So you, everyone's just sitting there, riding every moment, like you know what's coming. Yeah. Giving it to guys if they, you know, when, done, you when, know. when Mel kicked that goal in the last quarter, we literally reenacted it again while it was happening. We picked him up and carried him around the room. It was it was pretty, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Because. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't never. You never really hear much about AFL celebrations. I mean, the NRL guys have Mad Monday, and that that gets its fair share of publicity, good and bad. But like, is it a thing in the AFL? Do you guys have the the dress ups and the especially if you want a grand final? Like, do, do you have any of that kind? Yeah, of we yeah, we we still have. It. We just probably don't get. Um, <laughs> probably stay out of trouble a bit more. It, yeah, the cameras aren't out as much in, in in AFL in Sydney as it is in as it is in league. But we we we, we do celebrate. We had a Mad Monday. We had. Um, I can't even remember what the dress-up was, but we were there. Um, 
you know, coaches are there. It was it, that was a that was a pretty special time. Yeah, that was a, that was fun. But I mean, Mad Monday's the last couple of years have probably dissipated a little bit. Yeah. Um, but that's just the sort of times that we're in, isn't it? You got out at the right time, mate. Yeah. <laughs> On a lot of levels there, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the, to go from one extreme high then, look, to, to switch the conversation, we're talking two years later now and it's it's 2014 and you're heading into the 2014 grand final, which went the complete opposite direction mm. for you guys. In the lead up, you're playing Hawthorne again, but when you look back now, is there anything you can pinpoint and say, oh, you know what, looking back in hindsight, that didn't, that didn't feel right or that didn't sit right. I, I had an off feeling. Uh, I th- think we got we got ambushed in the, on grand final day. There's, there's probably no doubt about that. Um, there's a there's maybe there was probably a tendency. We we had the prelim and we absolutely flogged North Melbourne in the prelim, and and then we we're playing Hawthorne again in the grand final. And I don't know if it was subtly. It certainly wasn't spoken about, but whether we were just going to ride that same emotion again and into a grand final. I don't think we um, we certainly didn't. I mean, Hawthorne clearly had a chip on their shoulder. They came out and, and attitude-wise got us. And we look back on that and it was a shocking day for the club. Um, yeah, again, wider numbers of that day. We didn't have everyone playing well. Often think about you need your best players playing well and maybe a few can – you can probably carry a few on, on grand final day. If you don't have your best players playing well, everyone needs to play well. I think that was the case in 2012. I don't think we had standout players in 2012, but everyone bought in. Um, 2014 was neither here nor there. Our best players didn't play well. We had no – no one else really jumped on board, and we got what we deserved. And it was a, a rude awakening to a lot of boys and a few boys who were playing their first grand final – um, so that was a that was a big shock, and that took it took some time getting over. We had to, yeah, we faced up. We, we came in the following week and and reviewed it for a few hours, which normally you probably wouldn't do. Normally you'd want to re- forget it and move on, but we 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 thought the best way to deal with it was to face it, talk about it, and make sure we yeah had our heads in in the right place to come back and go to work in pre-season but it was like it was all too late because we'd just given away an opportunity that was my question it was like what's the aftermath yeah. with a with a with a loss like that you know in the immediately in the sheds then in the in the days after what's it what's it like uh it was one of probably disbelief in the sheds afterwards and disappointment um we didn't have a mad monday we got we we decided to get called in on the Monday afternoon and have a review session. Um, not to say that we, we we didn't have drinks together and that type of thing. That that went later, but it was there are more important things, and we had to just face up to what we what we dished up because it, it was crap. Winners winners have parties, losers have meetings. Who said that? Is that uh, oh, like, I don't know who said it. <laughs> Classic quote with no reference. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's true though. Yeah, we. Um, yeah, we spoke about it and stewed on it and thought that was the best way to deal with it. Yeah, I, I, I just remember watching it and it's like AFL for mine as, you know, I didn't – I grew up, I, play, I played a bit of AFL when I was young, but for mine watching AFL, it looks like momentum is a big thing in sport, mm. but momentum in AFL is a whole other beast. It's like it, – I just watching that game, you, you guys, you couldn't stop them. They, they were just 
sometimes you get caught up in it. Like it was one of those games where they were literally flicking it over their shoulder and it was going straight to them. They just, things are just on. Things were on for them and, and the complete opposite for us. Um, and you're right, momentum in, in AFL footy is – I mean, it's like that, as you said, it's like that in any game, but um, in footy you can really, really ride momentum and that's what we would always talk about once you've got it take advantage of it and we were always trying to find out ways where we could stop it and stem it because if you know that you're going to you'll be in the game more, more often than not but it was um, yeah we just couldn't stop it Another thing that kind of came out of that, that game and I, I didn't realise this until um, recently when I watched the Adam Goods documentary is it's kind of where the first kind of resemblance of the the booing started in that game and then it kind of carried on to the next season and I've always been, obviously being an Indigenous man, it's something I haven't even watched. Like I only watched this documentary the other night because I knew I was coming to talk to you and I was like, oh, look, I've, but I, I always found I'd get angry watching it and I knew I'd get angry watching it and I did and I got emotional. But like I've always been interested in what it's like to be a teammate in that time because I know a lot of you guys are obviously very supportive of Adam at the time, but like when you look back on that time now, what was it like to, to witness what happened at that time? Well, when it when it first kind of started, we we didn't know what it probably was, and even in the grand final, I think it was it was there, but we we weren't really sure about what what, what the hell's going on. Like, what why they keep booing Goodsy? We weren't really sure about it. When it continued on to twenty fifteen, and it started growing and getting louder and louder, and then you know various commentators start talking about it and. It's when we were kind of like, well, hey, what do we, what do we do here? And, and I sort of, I've spoken to Mac, Jared McVeigh about it because we were co-captains at the time, and it was after we watched the final quarter. We sort of looked at each other and we said, I don't, I don't think we did, we didn't do enough. We didn't do enough for Goodsy uh, during that point. Um, we we constantly had talks with him. We we're always talking to him, mate. Are you okay? Like, what do you want us to do? And basically being told by him and what the club was sort of telling us to do and what the AFL were trying to do to make it stop, they were like, let's not give this any air. Not, don't talk about it. Um, let's hope that it dies down. And in hindsight, it was the absolutely wrong thing to do. We should have stood up earlier to it. There was an iconic kind of image from the final quarter where Goodsy's at a recovery session down in Clavelli and he's standing there with about 20 journos and it was at its, at its peak there. I was there. You were there. I was there. I was, at, I was at that press conference, yeah. I and was only young and they sent me down there. Yeah. I was kind of out the back, but I remember Mate, being there. there was so many people there and he was there on his own. And we were sort of saying we should have been there. We should have even stood behind him. Just at some point we had to make a stand because it inevitably it was going to break him. It was, it was, that was where it was going to get to. And it did in the end. Like that West Coast game that we played over in Perth, that's what that's what the final straw was. And the West Coast is hostile at its best. But that was I've never experienced anything like the hostility that was at that ground that day. And we, there were spot fires coming off the ground with fans and Lewis Jetta was nearly getting in fights with people who were yelling the most outrageous stuff at him. Um and that was after that cuz he cuz he um took some time away and went back to the land and, and did what he did, which is, is sort of on the Australian dream. It sort of goes through a little bit bit more about that as well. Um, so, yeah, look back on that and hope that never 
never happens again. I hope that it doesn't. I think it it may do, and it still is happening. We've seen it with Eddie Betts. Um, But I think how we deal with it will always be different because of how we dealt with Adam. Um, And I know that the Indigenous boys, when they go on their camps every year, they talk about this. And what Adam's enabled them to do is, is actually given them confidence to stand up to anything racial, anything where they feel like they've been undermined. They've got the confidence now to do it because of what he's started, whereas I think they were always probably scared to some degree to actually stand up and point it out. Um, and that's probably been systemic in sports for a long time. But what he started is hopefully a movement where they feel confident and we everyone else should feel confident to call it out for what it is because it's just, it, it, it doesn't belong anywhere in society. So, yeah, I, uh, yeah. for Adam, to, for a guy like that to end his career, I think he played 372 games, a dual Brownlow medal. He's one of the greatest that's ever played. For him to literally walk away without having the chance to say goodbye to fans because he felt like he'd be received the wrong way and he didn't go on the parade on grand final day because he actually felt like he would be booed in front of everyone like that's disgraceful it's it's absolutely disgraceful and it's been a blight on on the game and i fear that we're just going to forget about it because he's retired and moved on but we should never forget about it so yeah it's um yeah it's what lewis jetta did as well in that west coast game would dance back to him and literally you know say don't it was almost like get get staffed I'm sick of this um and then what happened the following week in Sydney with the the crowd and the chant at the seventh minute of the third quarter um it's all movements that people when they stand up to something can actually be really powerful and that's what that's what that kind of taught me throughout that whole period but yeah I just hope that that never happens again can just I can hear the anger kind of in your voice. Like at the time, where you you must have you feel helpless, like you and hopeless almost, because you almost want to scream at eighty thousand people, stop booing. Like, yeah. but there's nothing you can do, and you've just you're there. Like it is. I can't imagine what that must have been like. Yeah, yeah, we did. We, we couldn't we couldn't do anything to stop it. And as I said, the the the, the first point of call was let's just be quiet and not say anything because let's hope it dies down. It's the wrong way. It doesn't work. It actually got louder. We called, We finally called a press conference and, and the Swans were the first ones there. Uh, I think it was John, CEO, Andrew Island, you know, um, Chairman Andrew Pridham and myself and Jared sort of fronted the media and were the first to sort of say, right, we're calling it what it is. This is what it, Adam's gone away. It's, it's affected him. It's actually broken him. Um, I'm proud that we did that as a club because from then, you know, it was on notice. But it's kind of, unfortunately, it, it didn't really dissipate until he until he finished. When you say you would want to have done more earlier, what what would you ideally have, have wanted to do at, when, you, when it first started? Other than, you know, when you mentioned standing behind him at that press conference, but what more now when you think about it could, could have been done? Well, yeah, and this is the thing, like... Yeah, well, I would have absolutely been solid in him wherever he was. So in terms of the what we did with the press conference, that should have been earlier. Um, we should have been talking to other clubs. You know, what can they do? Because clubs started coming out and all of a sudden showing support for him after all this happened. That should have been earlier. Um, the, just the worst thing that we could have done was to say, was to not say anything. 
we needed to call it out. And maybe that sort of starts fans to start calling it out, um, having measures in place at grounds to, you know, nominate people, dob people in. I don't, I, it, we needed to do something. We needed – what we did, just sit back and wait, didn't work. When I, I – you mentioned the um, the game – when he came, oh, not before. When he wasn't playing, it was at the SCG, and yes. they had the the everyone applauded for him in the thirty seventh minute. And you were right behind Lewis Jetta when he kicked that goal, and he and he danced. And like I remember watching that when I watched the documentary, and that made me emotional. I saw you there behind him. What was it like to be there, right the first person there, right behind him as he kicked that goal? And that was that that kind of moment. What was that like? It was it was awesome because throughout that whole period, Lewis was always was a young, quiet, indigenous, you know, and it wasn't really outspoken a lot of these topics. And I think this whole situation actually brought out the best in him. We started to see him really grow as a person. Um, and I had a lot to do with Lewis throughout his career because him and I used to train together. We used to – he would, <laughs> there was a period where Lewis would wasn't a great defensive player, so they used to make him tag me in pre-season games. So we became really tight, had a really strong relationship. And I just saw him grow as a person throughout that whole period with Goodsy. And he took a lot of the load as sort of the sole Indigenous guy within that team that was going to do something about it. And so when I gave him that ball and he kicked it and he just went nuts, it was it was, it was a great moment for us. It was a great photo with him and I contemplated doing a dance, Jake, myself, but I, uh, <laughs> I thought, no, I'll just stand behind him and clap him. But I've yeah. seen you, I've seen you in, uh, in Surrey Hills a few times. Don't dancing. go there. <laughs> <laughs> Probably best to just clap. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. just clap him. But um, yeah, that, that was a, it. Was a real growing up period for him too. Um, so I was, I was really proud of him. There's something interesting, and, and it's been talked about a lot. The NRL is going through a a kind of similar thing at the moment. Or not similar in the, like the Adam Goods thing got way out of hand, way too far. But there's this, a lot of talk about Latrell Mitchell at the moment and, and the way he's kind of treated, the way he's kind of, I guess, has become a villain. And it's the same question people are asking now. Is is there racially motivated hate? Not from everyone, but it, it's the, the undercurrent that starts probably one faction of society booing or not liking him and you know it carries this villain kind of mentality through everywhere else and it's, it's a really interesting thing like I, I don't know if you've seen it from afar but mm-hmm. it's like people say oh, we don't want another Adam Good situation and I, I don't know if we're on that precipice but like it's just it started it seemed to start with the anthem thing with, with Luttrell and Cody Walker and guys not wanting to sing the anthem and you get those people that don't like that yep. and then that villain narrative carries on is that do you, I don't know if you see similarities, but what, what do you make of that from afar? I think Stan, Stan Grant actually talks about it in The Australian Dream and it's almost like we accept the Indigenous athlete, the, the great skills and what they bring uh, until they step out of line and say something that we don't like and stand up for the, what they believe and their rights and, and what they're going through. So... We've got to understand that. Like we've got to understand that better. These guys have been through, and and their families and generationals have been through a hell of a lot the past hundred years, and it sort of carries on generational generational. If they feel like the national anthem doesn't represent them, their people, their generation, they've got every right to 
not stand and sing it, sing for it. You know, if, if we tell them, I oh, will just, you know, sing it and put up with it, otherwise you're dividing us. Well, why don't we do the same thing? Why don't we take on board what we're saying and, you know, roles are reverse type scenario. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I think, let's put it this way. Let's see if Nathan Cleary is still being hounded in a few weeks, a few months' time for what the social distancing thing that, that he got caught for and lied for um, versus the, the Latrell situation. And we'll see, we'll see what happens. It's the, it's the, as Dan Grant said, you're right, the, the anger Aborigine. Like you, That's right. Nobody wants that. They mm. want the, the great sportsman. And it's, it's gone back yep. generations. It's, in yep. America, you see, it was Muhammad Ali. You know, no one wanted – they wanted to watch him box, but no one wanted to hear what he had to say when he was saying something they didn't like. That's right. And that's the really interesting yeah. part. Oh, well, how do you feel about it, Jake? I'm interested in your, your sort of views on – Switching up, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Mate, ask the question. Yeah, oh, you're, the, you're the Aboriginal man. How do you feel? Uh, it's really difficult. I think I'm I'm caught in between it a lot of the time because I work in media, yep. and I've I've had this discussion with colleagues. You know, is the media racist? Are they targeting Latrell Mitchell? It's it's so difficult. I've never believed a colleague of mine to be targeting a person because they're Indigenous. Yep. And I would call it out straight away if I thought that was the case. But like everything, every faction of society, the media has people in it that have, I guess, a different kind of uh, – probably an old an old school perspective. But they don't probably intend to be racist, but there's elements of that there that probably carry through their work and, and that, you know, has a flow-on effect. And I just think it's like everything. There's just – there's just a small part of society that can kind of get amplified and and create this narrative around, you know, uh, yeah, the angry Aboriginal and, and not liking what he said, and and but it grows, mm. it festers, and that that's what I think is there. There's there's always going to be that racial side. It's always going to be an issue, but it it's when it festers and it creates. Oh, you know, this group says oh, I don't like Latrell Mitchell. Yeah, the anthem, this, this, and this, and it just makes it easier for. Other people to go, oh, no, you know what? I don't like that guy either. Like he, and it, it just has that flow on effect. And it was the same thing with Adam Goods. And it's tough to watch. And it's tough to be, people say you're a part of it because as part of the media, people think, oh, you know, I contribute to it. Mm. And I hate that. And, and I, I, I know Latrell Mitchell a little bit just through James Robertson. It's, it's hard because then you've also got to talk about it because he's a very high profile player. So, that's a really ba- a difficult balancing act, man. I just hope it doesn't get to that yeah, I, to that I, level. I really hope it doesn't either. I really hope it doesn't. But hopefully, as I said, hopefully, if, it, if there's one thing we can learn from, it's what, what's happened in the past, and we need to, as I said, make sure that doesn't happen again. Your own experience with, you know, I guess blown out of proportion, hectic media. You know, you've you've had. Parts, for the most part, players and Sydney players in AFL get to kind of fly under the radar and kind of have this, you know, quiet life. And I guess that's part of the appeal to a lot of guys. They can come here and just focus on footy. But there are times where your life has been cast into the media. Well, mm. What's what's that been like for you? Well, no one wants no one wants anything personal, private, or otherwise splashed around the media. Um, but unfortunately. It, some agencies and some media people are gonna are gonna talk about it. Um, yeah, it's it's 
at the end of the day, we're footballers. Like we're people forget that we're also people as well. Um, so I've had a few things, you know, especially in, into my two hundred game. It was I was a captain of the football club and getting splashed around on the paper. Very, very personal stuff that should never have been put out there. Um, but unfortunately, there was ammo there, and you know, some media agencies act a bit like gossip pages at times, and that's all it was. So, and I feel for, I think yeah, it sort of flows on to social media and just the amount of in your face media that's out there at the moment that people and, and people have to deal with. It's, it's blown out of proportion. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd hate to be a young kid coming into professional footy now because everyone's got a voice with a mobile phone everyone can abuse do whatever it's it's very easy to say turn it off and don't have it but what 18 19 year old doesn't have an instagram account or isn't doing that you know isn't doesn't have that sort of stuff they all do that's just that's just reality um so yeah i think as you said mate the media can be pretty powerful but at the end of the day what i was what I was dealing with, I'd just try and block that out and worry about captain of a football club. So you've got to move on and get on with what your day job is pretty quickly and forget about it. Did that give you a glimpse of, I kind of guess, what some of the more high-profile players, the, the, the really big guys, your buddy Franklin's, your Adam Goods, what they live with pretty much all the time? Like that's that's their life is kind of this hectic hectic watched at every moment kind of lifestyle yeah to, i mean to some yeah to some degree absolutely absolutely i, th- I think sport in sydney's not we're not at that pinnacle though like it, it, if you look back it, it's probably the it's the nba players that they're the, they're at a different level they're at, or the, the the soccer players in europe they're at a stratosphere above what kind of personalities and you know, I say in inverted commas, but celebrities, footballers are in Sydney. That's um, so. That's I don't know how they deal with it. I really don't. Um, that'd be that'd be very hard. So, but that was a that was a snapshot of maybe two or three days, and it was it wasn't nice for anyone. No, no, that's what I mean. Yeah, it's a it's a small slice it's, of what. Like I just watching as I said, I watching that that last dance and just Michael Jordan's life, like. The things they they wrote about, even though they wrote about him after his dad died, you know, some people tried to pin maybe his gambling had something to do with his dad's murder and stuff like that. Like, just I can't imagine what it would be like to be someone like that. And in and if that was in today's society, it'd be amplified tenfold. Yeah. So you're right. I mean, I'm loving watching the documentary because it sort of takes us back into time and. Apart from the suits that he's wearing, like it's um, <laughs> suits, suits, and how bad are the sunglasses? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, but it's it, it gives a bit of a snapshot as to what it was like. So every time he's coming out, it's just people everywhere. But nowadays, it's if you look at LeBron, it's it's the same thing. But it's also he can't escape it when he enters his own home because it's on his phone everywhere. So yeah, it's just a, it's a different beast now. I mentioned before, you know, obviously, one of your teammates is Buddy Franklin and a guy that a lot of people are into. And a lot of people, obviously, a very high-profile player, probably you know one of the biggest names in AFL history. What's what's Buddy Franklin like when he to, to play with as a teammate? Like, obviously, he's a great player, but what's he like as a as a guy and a guy to be around? He's actually a very private person, and um, 
I mean, he he literally lived in the fishbowl in in Melbourne. Like he he couldn't live in his own house because there'd be there'd be photographers out the front. You know, he, I think he ended up going to live in an apartment because it was the only way he could get underground parking and that no one would hound him. So that's a, that's a pretty significant level to get to. Um, so for him to play for 15 years and be at the top, it's, it shows a lot about the kind of resilience that he's got as a player but as a person as well. Um, but a very, very private person. He'll come in, train hard. He cares about the club. He cares about the young guys that, that are there now and wants to make sure that they're, they're up and going to you know eventually take over when he leaves. But once he leaves, he he keeps to himself a fair bit, and that's completely understandable too, because he's um, he cops a fair bit in the public whenever he's out. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Oh, it'd be an absolute nightmare. But yeah, obviously people they brought him to the club, and all the talk was about you know he want they want to win a premiership, and obviously that's still a very big possibility. But you guys had another chance in 2016, the 2016 grand final. I hate to keep bringing up the grand final losses, mate. It's okay, but, mate. Um, <laughs> 2016 was different, obviously, to 2014. It was a it was a much more tightly contested match. And look, I remember watching it in a pub. And as I said, I don't know the AFL rules that much, but and I think a lot of people in Sydney don't. But we're all sitting there going, "Can Sydney buy a free kick in this game?" Like out there, was it the same? Like because it was a tough one. Far out, Jake. We're going. We just keep talking about. Grand finals and footy, aren't we? Like, yeah. Um, I haven't really spoken about like I haven't done any of this sort of stuff, you know, post footy or anything like that. So I look back on 2016. That was probably there's no doubt that I think for our club during that period we we probably should have won another premiership. Like we there's a space there we made finals every year we were top four probably five or six years in a row we won the minor premiership twice three grand finals and one premiership so there's an argument saying we probably we probably should have won another one but i look i'm i'm sitting here wrapped that i've won one i've got one one sitting there There so um 16 was almost roles reversed in the sense that it was the Western Bulldogs riding this wave of emotion throughout the final series. You know, they came from seventh, seventh place during the year, were beating everyone in the finals, and then I think it was 50-odd years since they, their, their last premiership. So there was there was this over... We could sense it in the, in the leading, in the parade, and in the interviews. It was all about the Western Bulldogs and this fairy tale that was about to happen. So... We played well. We, we, you know, in the end, we were, we were a goal down with five minutes to go or six minutes to go. So we were right in it. Yes, there were decisions that went against us, but I just I look back on it and, and don't think about the decisions as much as we probably just didn't have the weight of numbers again. I think we just got exposed. We, we, our best players were pretty, pretty good, but, you know, in terms of the entire group, we had a few that probably didn't play that well, and they had they had a pretty even, consistent team, and they they deserved to win. So yeah, that's I'm not sort of bitter about it. It was a missed opportunity, you know. Come away with one in 2012 in my career. I'm pretty happy with that. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good result. Yeah, 
All right, no more grand finals. Thanks, we're mate. Talk about yeah. football. Sorry to <laughs> sorry to bring memories. Um, no, no. Okay, so we're we're now. You're obviously you're in your first year of retirement now, and um, I guess what's what's the transition like been after all those highs and football and you know kind of winding down your career after that? Where you know what's it like to to people talk about life after sport? What's life after sport like? Yeah, look, I mean, I. Uh I was ready. I, I was ready to retire. I mentally, I was, I was sort of had enough. I was really, you know, had other interests outside. Um, my body was starting to break down, and uh, you know, you look around the change room, and it's. I mean, us, the Swans. Now we're probably the third or fourth youngest team in the in the competition. So we're kind of we're preparing for this from a couple of years ago. Yeah, the fact that Heath, Nick, Jared, myself were no longer going to be there. So the locker room chat changes. You know, boys talking about Fortnite and all this other crap that I don't even know about. So, um, yeah, I, when it finished up, I was I was relieved. You know, I was I look back on it, not bitter. Great memories. Finished in an unbelievable way. You know, in front of the home crowd at the SCG. Um, but almost like I'm ready to turn the page and get into something really new and, and try something different. So for me, and, and maybe it's because of, maybe it's because we kind of studied and had some other interests outside it. Like I haven't felt the burden too much. I haven't felt like it's, I've lost my identity type of thing. I never really identified myself as just a purely football player anyway. I think if you do that, you do get into trouble. Um, so yeah, I took up a role. I was always talking with Tom Harley, who's our CEO. Um, he wanted to keep me around commercially at the club, um, so I wanted to build up some skills in that regard. So I started a, a role in November, December, in the BD team, so in business development, taking on some new business, which would have been around sort of a corporate, um, a corporate membership which kind of encapsulates business and sport and trying to get people together and and align that um so that was something i was looking forward to and and at some point when we get back into normality i'll I'll, I'll get into that again but i was looking really looking forward to the next chapter so um it hasn't been yeah i don't haven't haven't sort of been daunted by it at all i've kind of been looking forward to it to a degree yeah, that's good because, uh, as you said, people don't. Not a lot of people do safeguard themselves into yeah. that next stage because football can be so important. And but yeah, I think, you, as you said, you've kind of you knew it was coming, so you've kind of prepared yourself. But what about what about work is work and one thing. But what about purpose? What about finding a you know a, a purpose for yourself after you've done football? It's a like yeah, I know you you started doing a lot of charity work and you're doing some stuff with Craig Foster. Is, is that all about finding kind of you know what more can I do other than just you know what I do for a living as well? Yeah, well that's where um, coming into contact with Craig has as certainly throughout a period of of COVID and you know jobs standing down and you, and you're not sure where you where you're at in terms of finding purpose again. Like that gives as great a purpose as anything. So I I spoke to. Sam Moston, who's on our board and really, really big in sort of social rights and environmental um, issues, and, and she mentioned uh, Craig. So I got in contact with Craig, and, and that was about six weeks ago now, and, and took Nick Smith along, who's um, retired last year as well, and 
we've been going down every morning since. Like it's to go down to Addison Road in Marrickville and help out their food pantry. We pack um, boxes of food for the needy. So it's it's purely based on volunteers turning up of a morning um, and they rely on donations from all over. But they, you know, they put fresh fruit, um, veggies, bread, rice, canned, canned um, food and that goes to all sorts of people who are in need and at the moment that sort of list is growing um, which is a real shame but that's the reality of it so doing something like that and getting up in the morning that gives purpose it's just giving back a little bit so that's been that's been great um, to do and, and you know when work picks up again I'll continue to do that because I feel like it's it's so important. It's just an important need, and if 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 people aren't doing it, then it won't get done. So, you know, I've met some incredible people down there at that that facility, um, and you come in contact with a few of the locals that come down, and you know are, are homeless and are struggling. And at the end of the day, you think, well, if the worst that's happened is I've been stood down, I've still got a roof over my head. <laughs> that's a pretty good position of privilege I would have thought to give back a little bit to these people that are seriously struggling. Yeah, and, and Craig Foster, he's just a, a guy. He, he does so much, doesn't he? Like, he, we saw him he, he fight to get that footballer out of jail. Like, he's just a real socially conscious human who does some, some great work. Mate, I've had some great conversations with him. Like, in terms of human rights issues and equality and, like, we went down – so he, runs a, he runs a program called Play for Lives, which, which came about – during this period of, of COVID and the whole premise behind it was, well, so many community sport um, teams and clubs have stopped. So that means there's a couple of hours every week where people would normally go down and train with their friends and on, on the weekend they'd play. Well, what are they doing with that time? We need to get – there's a real need in the community right now for essential services and volunteer work because what happened was a lot of the volunteers – were naturally of the elderly anyway and they'd been put into isolation so there was this great need and he thought well let's band sport together so that's where the concepts come from and it's it is growing like it's growing all over the country people are really jumping on board it's a, it's a great initiative it will continue as i said once we get out of this you know pandemic that we're in too because it's it's just good for people to give back you know you kind of reflect on i find myself now as a you know, white, male, straight, you know, I'm in this great position of privilege and why? Like, I shouldn't be any different to anyone else. Everyone deserves equal opportunity. And then Craig's had, you know, great conversations with people. Last week we went to a mosque in Lakemba um, and delivered 200 hampers there to sort of Muslim families and any any other families that wanted to come down and, and were in need and it was just about connecting people from different religion, race, you know, sexual, it doesn't matter. Like, let's just get everyone together and sport can be a great uh, connector for that. So I'm buying into what he's saying. I think it's great and, and hopefully it can we can build it to something really big. You've always kind of been a, a socially conscious person, but I remember, I remember Charlotte told us once she said uh, a couple of, I mean, maybe it was last year, the years of just blurring together at the moment, aren't they? Like, but she said, "Oh, if anyone uh, spots a guy down at the uh, environment rally by himself, it's just Kieran kind of <laughs> down there, <laughs> just you know, because he felt like he needed to be down there and stuff like." It, 
it's something that's kind of been with you for a long time as be to be a socially conscious. Yeah, look, uh, to be honest, I was pretty narrow minded. I, 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 in my early, t- you know, grew up. Really, football was kind of and sport was everything to me. Even in my early twenties and mid twenties, was probably the same. I was very narrow minded and 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 selfish in that regard. It really wasn't until I probably started until I met Charlotte and and started having chats with her about everything else that's going on in the world. Um, you know, she's a journalist, as you know, so I'd, I'd watch news with her. We'd watch, you know, you you watch your Q and A, you watch Four Corners, you start watching Media Watch. You, you become, you learn all these things. So that that really opened my eyes up a few years ago, and um, now like that football's over, and you know that. I feel like this weight's off my back. I can kind of got the freedom to do what I want, um, when I want. And if I can use my very small platform in any way, shape or form to get a camera down and, and showcase what we're doing with Craig or anything and, and the need that's required, well, then it's, it's absolutely necessary. So, um, yeah, I think, yeah, it's just about... And, and the the environment, the... the um, the protest that was going on, I just went down there to see what it was all about, and yeah, it was it was it was good to be there for. But you, as you said, like your profile in sport, and this is the same reason why we've come to be doing this podcast as well, is to talk about sport can be such a powerful vehicle, and there's so many guys that have had you know, a lot of the guys we've done this podcast with have powerful stories, and and a lot of people have reached out to say, hey, you know, I resonate with what he said you know i had a similar childhood a similar upbringing and there's as you said but you, there's guys that do a lot of community work we had the draboyevich brothers on they do coach young kids you know and sport when you when you're in the bubble can be all consuming but when you look outside and you go hang on a minute like this this bubble could be used to to make a big difference on it like it has a such powerful effect yeah and i regret that i didn't do more earlier in my career too it wasn't really until later in my career where i i my eyes were opening up and i was starting to see some of the the inequalities that are going on and, and you sort of ask questions hang on why what marriage inequality what why why is that a, why is that around why are we still talking about that that should be common sense let's people should be able to marry who, who they want um so it's just yeah it's and it's education again it's education is key like it's um you know watched the the four corners doco on the on the climate wars last night and and how politicized climate change has become in the last 20 years it's 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 extraordinary you know we're in and amongst a pandemic where everyone is saying listen to the experts they'll get us out of it which is absolutely correct and yet and it's because that that affects us right now Whereas climate change has been seen as oh, it's not going to affect us, but the scientists and everyone is telling us that it, it, it is and it already is. And if you look at what's happened in the past summer, it's going to get worse. So we need to education is key to anything, um, and then telling stories about it. So if you've got some high profile players who are keen to tell stories about the work they're doing in community, well, if a kid's listen to that and thinks that's what he should be doing or her or what she should be doing well then that's great for everyone so yeah you say you wish you were doing it earlier but is, is it difficult as a player because when you're in this zone it's it's so much about football but it's also about like 
you know, don't 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 raise your head because you don't want to be, you know, you don't want unnecessary attention. You, you if you're, you know, pushing a climate change and stuff like that, you've got people you got the deniers, you got people at you. Like is it is it hard to manage with a professional sporting career where you just don't want the unnecessary kind of headlines or pressure when you're trying to play well? It is, yeah, because you're in a team environment and that's you never want the the spotlight to be on any one individual more than, than the rest of the team or the team to be blown up in lights for something that an individual said. So often is the case is that the coach will say just straight bat, straight bat, let's just and you you know what it's like. Yeah, at, yeah, at, absolutely. At, at, you know, press conferences. Everyone's got, yeah, yeah. The forwards went really well on the ruck, and uh, <laughs> yeah, look forward to next week. So it's no one wants to really put themselves out there. But that's that's just training, and that's that's because a coach doesn't want their team put up in lights more than what's necessary. So it is hard to then all of a sudden delve out and do something, you know, out in the out in the community and speak about these topical issues because you kind of feel this sense oh shit if I do this is a club gonna pull me in for a chat or anything like that so but in saying that we had great mentors in you know Goodsy, Mick O'Loughlin in terms of indigenous communities and what they were doing we got exposed to that and we're like hey that's the right thing to do let's let's follow them. Has it been eye-opening for you on a personal level just doing what you've done with Craig you said you went to like a like uh, a mosque and you've probably been to places you haven't had the chance to visit for you know work support commitments and stuff but to see a whole other side of like I'm being a news reporter and I, I wouldn't see those sides if it wasn't for my job I go out and see these things like it's it's like a whole different world to what you've been exposed to at times yeah and because you're seeing it at its absolute core that's why because you know, a lot of the work you may do with football clubs is very regimented. It's almost scripted. You've got to turn up at this time and you're there for half an hour and then you go and do this. So it's – but when you're just there off your own bat and you're there and you, you know, you're packing bread in a truck and someone comes up and asks you for bread and you, 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 know, you see that it's absolute core and the need that's there. So that's that's when it hits – it does hit home. Um, you know, that that's that, – and more people need to be out – on doing that to actually see it um that's 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 what i think and yeah i mate, credit to you for 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 doing that now because you are making a difference and the more and i know a lot of athletes do this and and, and they don't ask for your attention that's the other difficult thing right you also you want to push a cause you want to help out but you also don't want to be a lot of these guys don't want to be seen like, oh, I'm just doing it for the attention. I'm doing it for the media. Like it's such a difficult balancing act, is it? Yeah, I imagine as a player to be like, oh, I'm trying to do the right thing, but I also don't want to be seen like I'm just some guy who's trying to make out like I'm doing good stuff. Yeah, and 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 the natural cheap shot from a from someone in the public would be to say that, oh, he's only doing it for the, you know, the the notoriety, or just because he's, you know, he's probably being paid to do that, which. It is rubbish, but I think if anyone's out there doing it, then that's a good thing. Don't worry about what's being said. If you're out there and you're putting your time in, then that's that's as good as you can get. I don't, I don't really care about your alternative motive, even if there is one. If you're out there helping when we need it, um, all power to you. Yeah, you're exactly right. I, I liked what you said before. You said, uh, is that is that the line in the AFL? Because in, in rugby league, it's like, ah. Oh, Credit to the boys. Yeah, the, yeah, the forwards. Well, well, like, what's what's the go-to line? Well, we, 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 see, we just changed forwards with midfielders. Uh, midfielders got on top of us today. <laughs> they, we got out of the middle really well. Yeah, because it's uh, very similar, Jake. Oh uh, no, I know, I know. I, I love it. No, it's 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 a good laugh, and it's a it's a good game. Like, I think 
there, sh- there probably can be a lot more better understanding between media and players and, and, and I, part of this podcast as well is to try and bridge that gap, you know, have guys on and kind of understand their story more, understand, you know, so we're not as harsh, you know, they are humans. They're, you got to think about why this happened with this news story. What's mm. what's the real reason behind it? What's why was he why is he like this? You know, like and, and um, we had James Roberts on, uh, who's a good mate of mine earlier, and 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 just recently he he's been in the news because he's readmitted to rehab, and you know a lot of people say, oh, is he, you know, he's because he's, he's out, he's drinking, or he's he's doing you know drugs, or you know on the prescription drugs, and you know, and, and they see that as the the product and they judge him and he's hammered in the media, but it's like, oh, well, if you actually listen to the podcast with you, you'll understand and you hear this guy's story and he's got a lot more things that those things are just a byproduct of a lot of other issues that have come from a lot younger when he was younger. And it's just, and that's the kind of difficult bridge we have as, um, you know, journalists and players. And yeah, we're quick to jump, aren't we? We're quick yeah. to jump to conclusions with people. Uh, as I said, everyone's human. Everyone's got a story. And often when you're sort of thrown into the spotlight, you're expected to be the, the norm and to be the, you know, no issues, you know, good citizen. But the reality is everyone's got a, a backstory. Everyone's got – everyone has their own troubles. Um, trust is such a big point. So with journalists, it's – you know, and players and that will will completely lose trust with journalists if they go against or they try and write something that's – taken completely out of context with what they're saying so i think what you're doing mate is a great thing i'll have to listen to james's podcast so it'll be really interesting yeah it is and there's a few guys that have been like that um joel thompson's another one i did joel thompson yeah. manly he's really interesting listen as well from just the story of him but yeah uh, it's yeah we're, we're heading in the right direction but I, I appreciate you coming on and you know it says it's about trust and you know we've had conversations about things you want to talk about like just it's about having that relationship because yeah there's you know a lot of good things that can be done together when people tell stories right just want to finish mate we like to finish with a bit of fun questions just first thing that comes to your head and i will give you some prior warning a few of these have come from uh, my colleague rob canning at nine and he is one of the weirdest blokes you'll ever oh, in your life okay <laughs> there might be just some some weird situational question that might you might think what is wrong with this bloke but okay. first one uh most who's the most random person you think you've ever had in the Swans locker room, like a, a celebrity or a person that's kind of come in? Oh, we had this discussion the other day. Uh, the Dalai Lama. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, would have been two thousand and nine. He was he was over here, and Brett Kirk was um, uh, had been converted into Buddhism, and so he went to one of his talks and got introduced to him and went up on stage and, and gave him a, a jumper and uh, as a result got him into the rooms after the game when we had a win so it was uh it was any, very very any, spiritual any wisdom and <laughs> I, I walked i walked past him and, and gave a bit of a nod yeah, I, yeah. I felt like i got You've some been, i got yeah, some good energy from him touch, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow i, I did that's a little bit that different isn't it yeah, yeah that is very different <laughs> we'll discuss but you can do a whole oh. podcast on that oh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, is that starstruck then? Is, is, have you ever been starstruck before? Uh, yeah, met Roger Federer um, at the Hopman Cup two years ago uh, in Perth. So I had a, a friend of mine who was working there, got me down into the, the locker room into the, just for a bit of a tour. 
and we're standing there and Roger walked straight past us and, he, and in, because he was working for the tour, this guy, he, he grabbed Roger and we had a quick chat to him for 10 or 15 minutes before he was about to go on. Oh, wow. Um, so that was that was re- really cool. Was I was starstruck cool. then. Yeah. yeah. That's fair enough though, I reckon. Yeah, no, that, I, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Um, what about weird superstitions? Yourself, teammates, anything you've seen over the years? Uh, Mike Pike probably got the weirdest one. So Mike was the Canadian ruckman that used to play rugby union, played for the um, played for Canada in one of the World Cups. Great story, but before every game he would uh, he would brush his teeth. Weird, right? Like in the sheds. Yeah, like before, just before we're about to run out. Yep. Like two minutes before we're about to run out. Okay. <laughs> anyway, we were in this meeting, and because we always go in for a chat with horse before we go out. And so someone would count all the numbers and there'd be 21 and 22 on the side. Who's Someone's missing. Who's missing? Look around. Like, Pikey. Where's Pikey? Don't know where he is. So someone's yelled out down the hall like, Pikey, what are you, where are you? Anyway, he's come running in with the, his toothbrush <laughs> in his mouth and taken his seat. And we've just tried not to laugh. Like, hang on. What are you? Come on, mate. You're a big, imposing, intimidating ruckman. And you've got your toothbrush in your mouth, and you're about to run out in the field. Is so. this on camera? Is there cameras in this room? Yeah, no, not in that room. No, that was no. the very, the very private sort of coach's room before we went out. But it would have been great to get on film. Wow, that, <laughs> that, that's great. This yeah. is the kind of stuff people love to see here. Mate. All right, here's the here's the Rob Canning question. It, it's a strange one, and it's a Would you rather? Would you rather be in an empty 50 meter pool with five crocodiles? Five crocodiles are in the pool, right? And but it's empty, and you've got to stay in there for twenty four hours with the crocodiles. You can climb the walls and stuff, but you can't get out of the pool. <laughs> yeah. Or a full pool, f- full of water. One great white shark in there, but you've got to get from one end to the other. You can go around the the rim of the pool and you can hold on, but you've got to be shouldered deep in water. But you just got to get to the end. Or twenty four hours with five crocs, oh, but you're on land. That's great, Rob. That's um. <laughs> Oh, dear. 50-meter pool. 50-meter pool, I'd yeah. i take the shark on. you take the I'd shark? I'd take the shark, yeah. What would be your strategy? Would you- I'd just wait yeah. and then just go as hard as I could. Oh, you'd just go. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else has said creep around the side, but you're just gonna I'm going to pin it. Just pin it. <laughs> Wow, <laughs> and that, just, it could be the it could be the death of me. But or, or the thing might not even notice and just uh, just go underwater. Yeah, just straight under. Wow. Uh, oh, so you, you wouldn't swim surface? No, 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 no I'll no. go straight under. You're going under. Yeah, okay, going, I'm going stealth. I think I don't know. I think I'd take my chance with the Crocs. Would you? I reckon twenty four hours. Oh, I just think I just think on land we're a fair. I'm a fair chance. Apparently they can't run diagonally quickly. So you put a good well, step on them. Yeah, you could maybe step one. What about five of them? <laughs> maybe they're all, they're all not hungry at one time. Okay, that's a good one. All right. yeah. I'll tell Rob that went well. Um, okay, if you could have beers with three athletes anywhere in the world, let's let's say living athletes, you can have beers with them. Who who would they be? Oh, wow! 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 It could be a bit of a hard one. There's a lot of a lot of good athletes. There are. Well, I'd probably say Jordan after what we've just seen with yeah. with that documentary. Um, Serena Williams. Yeah. I think she's just incredible, like incredible athlete. Um, and the third, who would you? Who, who are you? I'd personally be Steph Curry. I'm really? a big Steph Curry fan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're I Golden just, State fan, are you? 
Oh, I, I'm just more of a Steph Curry fan. Yeah, he really okay. got me into like, – I've always liked basketball, but just the way he plays, the way he kind of changes the game, how exciting he is, just I just is really – I just captivated by what yep. a brilliant okay. shooter he is. Yeah, that would be mine. That would be yours. I'll probably say – actually, probably not Roger, which is a shame because I love him, but my favourite tennis player is Rafa. So, Rafa. yeah, yeah, I just love his attitude. Yeah, he's he's an interesting one. Interesting, yeah, he yeah. seems like a bit of a character yeah. on court too. So, yeah, two tennis players there. That's a bit, a bit different. You like your tennis? I did as a kid. Yeah, I really did. Um, did you play? Yeah, I did until I was thirteen, fourteen, and then sort of footy went into summer, and then you sort of follow on. But yeah, I quite enjoyed it. Um, into golf now. Actually, you called me when I was on the golf yeah, course yeah, yeah. last week. So yeah, and you are, you sounded like you're a bit out of breath. You said you were walking up the hill and you you're puffing, and I said, mate, <laughs> probably not as fit as he used to be then. Well, thanks for fat shaming me on your <laughs> podcast, mate. Well, um, yeah, no, I was huffing and puffing. I, you know, had the bag on my back, so. Yeah. Um, but I'm enjoying that in in retirement. So that's the most frustrating game in the world, golf. I it, think. it is, yeah. But it's just maybe that's why I keep doing it because you, you're just enjoying the frustration. You, you want to get better at it. Perfect. Well, yeah. Kieran, thanks for coming on the podcast, mate. It was, it was sorry to drag on so long. I was just so I was kind of captivated by what you were saying, and hopefully other people are too. So, uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing your story and 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 talking about the things that you you know you're passionate about. When I think a lot of people will will hear this and and think the same thing. Mate. Thank you, so, Jake. No, appreciate it, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening, guys. We've got plenty more episodes coming your way very soon. Don't forget to follow the Refuse to Lose podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We look forward to talking to you again soon.